Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Numa. Today's session will be somewhat unorthodox, as it'll approach a topic to which the practice of meditation and mindfulness seems, at first glance, wholly inapplicable. Indeed, one would think the sordid field of politics undeserving of a visit from the spotless virtue of the meditative mind, from the unblemished beauty of the contemplative spirit, for whose graceful presence, unfeigned candor, and imperturbable calm there's but little room. It's my hope, over the course of the next fifteen minutes or so, to challenge that assumption, and to cultivate greater sympathy for those with whom, on matters political, we either respectfully differ or radically depart. This will be a guided meditation for thinking about politics and political disagreements and disputes. It will, hopefully, give you insight into the difference between knowledge and opinion, and how we often have more of one than we do the other. First, find a comfortable chair on which to sit. As always, if none presents itself to you, or if your preference is to sit on the floor, please do so. Adopt a relaxed posture, but maintain the integrity of your core. Lengthen your spine, tighten your abdomen, and draw your shoulder blades backward. Retract your chin just slightly, ensuring that your neck is in alignment with the vertebrae below. Unclench your jaw and allow a mild separation of the teeth without opening your mouth. Soften your gaze and reduce the tension in your temples. Place your feet solidly on the floor or, if folded, your legs firmly beneath you. With your eyes open, we'll begin by taking four breaths. Count three seconds for the inhalation and three for the exhalation. Let's do this together. 
Very good. Now, close your eyes. Again, count three seconds for an inhalation and three for an exhalation. For a total of four breaths, we'll do this together. Now, with your eyes closed, I want you to spend some time thinking about the difference between knowledge and opinion. The former is something about which we have absolute certainty, over which not even the faintest shadow of doubt can be cast. Of the types of knowledge, there are but two. That which is axiomatic, or self-evident, and that which is confirmed by the senses. An axiom is the work of the understanding alone, a truth discernible solely by one's reason. An example would be the a priori statement that the whole is greater than the part, or that two plus two equals four. We needn't observe this perfectly rational statement to assent to its inherent truth. Alternatively, knowledge can be obtained by the senses. We can hold before us a book and confidently identify it as such. We can assess its weight in our arms, its texture in our hands, its color in our eyes, and count with accuracy the number of its pages. That the book is heavy, leather-bound, tinged a yellow hue, and composed of 250 pages are truthful statements of the a posteriori type. We can know them empirically with the unfailing guidance of our perception. Opinion, on the other hand, is altogether different. It exists in another, much wider epistemological realm. Vast, inexhaustible, abounding is the number of things about which you can and surely do have an opinion, 
whereas those things of which you can have absolute knowledge are indeed comparably few. Questions of politics are matters of opinion. They can be settled neither by logic nor by proof. That a particular tax rate of your choosing ought to be imposed is not self-evident. That a favored health care plan ought to be mandated isn't immediately clear. Axiomatic truth, so coy and sparing in her appearance, is careful to overstep such issues as immigration, the military, infrastructure, and states' rights. Note well, she flees from questions even more fundamental than those, like, for instance, how many magistrates should rule the state, and for whose benefit? Opinions, unlike knowledge, are subject to disagreement. Healthy, cordial, energetic, but always respectful disagreement. So too are they subject to change. They exist not in the empyrean of the forms, in that lofty palace of universals and immutable truths, but in the rowdy, fun, unpredictable marketplace of ideas. There, they must be able to run about, to collide with one another, scrape their knees and break a sweat, join hands and stand up again, gauge their strength and concede their weaknesses in a spirit of liberty fraternity, peace, and inclusion. I'll ask you to reflect for a moment on an opinion onto which you once fiercely held, of which you've since been dissuaded Notice how, in the grand scheme of things, that opinion was rather fleeting. As you acquired greater wisdom, or accumulated more years, you were willing to re-examine it, and to let go of what once you held dear. that of which you were once so thoroughly convinced, no longer persuades you in the same way.
Don't judge yourself too harshly for having once endorsed an opinion that you now reject. For having embraced a notion of which, in light of better evidence, you've been happily disabused. And don't think the tendency of your opinions to change is quite finished. It's not. Nor, so long as you're a human, endowed with the faculty of thought, and touched by the spirit of caprice, will it ever be. It's the very nature of opinions to change. Have the intellectual humility to admit that what you believe to be the best political action at this point in time might not be. Perhaps your neighbor, though her car brandishes the bumper sticker of a detested name, or her lawn the banner of a rival faction, has some penetrating insight on this matter by which your own thinking could profit and be even better informed. Is she not worth listening to, if, perchance, you stand to be even more enlightened? Now, recognize that, just as you benefit from your neighbor's perspective, she might benefit from yours. We all have opinions that are subject to change. Some silly, some well-grounded, and we're all living in this country together. Thus, with a little generous prudence, a little forbearance of one another, and some grain of charity, we might join and unite into one general and brotherly search after the best path forward. This was the hope of the great poet and polemicist John Milton, from whom I will take this opportunity to continue to quote. This from his great work, De Areopagitica. And when every stone is laid artfully together, it cannot be united into a continuity. It can but be 
contiguous in this world. Neither can every piece of the building be of one form. Nay, rather the perfection consists in this, that out of many moderate varieties and brotherly dissimilitudes that are not vastly disproportional arises the goodly and the graceful symmetry that commends the whole pile and structure. That is to say, in words more familiar to American ears, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. With the swelling clamor of a thousand opinions, the melodious uproar of a diversity of thought, let us freely hear one another, agree or disagree with one another, attempt earnestly to understand one another, while excluding none from our civil discourse and the radiance of our freedom-loving warmth. We'll end with a final inhalation and an exhalation. Thank you so very much for spending this time with me to talk about this most sensitive and delicate of subjects. I hope to be with you again sometime soon. Farewell.